All right, let's go ahead and open in prayer for the word. Lord, we just thank for this day. We thank for this opportunity we have to come before you and worship you. We ask that you guide and lead us as we worship you at this time. In your son's precious name, amen. All right, if my voice gives out, I will plug in the speakers, but I don't know that I, with my voice whether the speakers are a good idea, but if you can't hear me, let me know. Uh, we're going to read a very large section of scripture today and just make a few comments on it. Last week we talked from Matthew about the chain of evidence for the resurrection. And today, being Resurrection Sunday, we're going to talk about his resurrection and his death. And you know, I'm not sure if you realize this, but today actually is the Jewish holiday that Jesus would have resurrected on. It is first fruits today. Passover was Friday. Unleavened bread would have been the time between Passover and Sunday. And today is first fruits celebration. So this is the actual day that we're supposed to be celebrating Jesus' birth. Um, birth. Um, <laughs> resurrection. <laughs> All right. This is going to be a fun day. So it's, I, love it, I love it when Resurrection Day falls by the Passover where it's supposed to. And if you look at the back of the bulletin, we give a whole long history of why it doesn't fall, fall into it. Because the, in the fourth century, they attached the holiday to the wrong holiday. And, uh, and it is matched you know, very infrequently. So John chapter 19, starting at verse 16. Then they delivered he him unto, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others with him on either side, and Jesus in the middle. And Pilate wrote the title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where the Jesus was crucified was nigh into the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And they then said the chief priest to the Jews uh, and of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, and every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from top throughout. And they said therefore among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be, and that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were to be accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now there was a vessel of, full of vinegar, and, filled, and they filled the sponge of vinegar, and put it upon the hyssop, and put it up to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Then the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation day and the body should not remain upon the cross on, on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. 
Then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and the other, which was crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already, and they broke not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knows that he has said is true, that you might believe. For these things were to be fulfilled, a bone on him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave, and came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which was the first, came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. And they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes in, peace, in, in, in the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher wherein was never any man laid. And they laid Jesus therefore, because the Jews' preparation day, and the sepulcher was nigh at hand. On the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene, and when it was yet dark and, and unto the sepulcher, and seeing the stone taken away from the sepulcher, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord and out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went, and that other disciple came unto the sepulcher. So they both ran together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down, looked in and saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in, but come with Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulcher, and saw the linen clothes lie. And the napkin was laid about his head, not laying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went also the other disciple, which had come first into the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again into their home. All right, long scripture. We're not going to talk about every single one of these verses, so we won't be here until 4 or 5 o'clock. Um, but I just wanted to read a long section of this. This whole week I have been reading all four gospel accounts of the resurrection, trying to figure out which, which verses I was going to use. Uh, last week we talked about the chain of evidence, and I just want to kind of go over that. We know that Jesus died. We know that he was buried. The women knew where he was buried. And according to Matthew, they, they put a seal on the temple, on, on the temple, I'm going to have a real hard time today, on the sepulcher in the tomb so that they could say the disciples didn't steal the body. Because they go, they went to Pilate and said, this man, while he was yet alive, said that he was going to come back in three days and alive. We need to seal this tomb so that they won't steal his body and say that he was alive. You know, what a way to prove that he resurrected because when they put that seal on, you know they were looked in to make sure the body was there. They put their little marks on the wax. And then when he wasn't there, they had to come up with a story. And you remember last week we talked about how they bribed the guards to say that they, you know, I love this testimony, it's always seemed funny to me. The testimony that they were told to say was, while we were asleep, the disciples stole the body. And you know, I don't know about many of you, but when I'm asleep, I don't know much about what's going on. Okay? Uh, you know, besides the fact that the soldiers weren't supposed to be sleeping on duty, you know, that was a capital offense there, just as it is in our day for a military person to be asleep on post. Uh, there was a problem. But here we see 
the Jewish leaders giving Jesus over, being given to Jesus to be crucified. Pilate had already decided Jesus was innocent. He tried everything he could to get Jesus to be released. And again, that was one of the things we talked about is how the problems Pilate had because he had, a, he had political problems. You know, we think politics is bad today. Well, Pilate had the same problems. He was told one more riot in Jerusalem and he was not going to be governor of, of Jerusalem anymore. And here he's had a riot pending. You know, so everything was set up that he had to make a decision. And he made a political decision. Kill, kill an innocent man to keep a riot from happening. He still lost his post a couple years later. But we see here he gives them. But he has one more job that he gives the Jews. He has a sign put up, which is when they were hung on a cross, they would write above them and assign the charges. What is this person being killed for? And on either side of Jesus were malefactors. It tells us that they were robbers, bandits. We would call them terrorists in our day. And above their crosses would be terrorists, robbers, thieves, murderers. Above Jesus' cross and head, he put the king of the Jews. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Why? Because if you remember last week, that's what they told him was his charge. You know, when he stood before the high priest, they charged him with blasphemy. He says he's God. When they took him to Pilate, they said, okay, he says he's king of the Jews. And we, we kind of look at this, and why would he do that? And we shared last week, because Pilate wouldn't have cared if he said he was a god. Okay? Pilate would have looked at him and said, so what? You know, we've got Zeus and Apollo and and Hercules and all these other demigods, and, they, and Caesar himself thinks he's a god. I don't care if he, if he, you know, he can call himself an apple for all I care. He doesn't matter to him. But to have him come and say, here's the king, that's a problem. Rome is in charge of Jerusalem, and now all of a sudden you're saying you've got a king? That's a big deal. So he put on the charge, king of the Jews. And you know what? That was a valid a charge because when Pilate asked him directly, are you the king of the Jews? He says, you say. And he goes, well, then you are a king. And he goes, I'm not a king of this world. If I was, my followers would rise up and, and fight. And remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Paul, Paul, I'm going to have a real hard time today. Peter takes a sword and chops off Malchus's ear. He's ready to fight. Yeah. And it's kind of amazing. He's ready to fight. There's a huge army guard. We talked about that in scriptures. It indicates that it's about a 600-man squad to arrest one man. You know, and we tell, you know, we've mentioned this. You know, we've probably wore to put him in the center of the big army rather than that they figured it was going to be that hard to arrest him. But let's carry him through the town in the middle of a huge army so that nobody knows who it is in the middle of the army. And we see it every once in a while on the news where they'll circle a prisoner with a large number of people so that they're not you know, going to be rescued or, or seen or whatever. But he says, this is the charge we're putting on. King of the Jews. <coughs> and we know that Jesus was taken and beaten. We talked about this last week. He was beaten with a Roman flagellum. And we've talked, you know, if you don't know what a flagellum is, it's a handle with seven to eleven leather straps. And these straps would be weighted down with bone and wood or what, and all these things. Come on in. 
and be used on the scourging of the people. And they would take and try to remove as much flesh as they possibly could from this individual. And Jesus was this individual that was being beat. And he carried the cross, and they put him on the cross. And it says that there were three Marys there. You know, it's kind of interesting that none of the disciples other than John were anywhere near from our description. They, they were not around. They, they departed from him. But it, it took his mother and a couple of other relatives to be around. And he gave his mom over to John and said, take care of my mom. You've got to think about how much love did Jesus have. He went to the cross willingly. Pilate marveled at Jesus that he did not defend himself against all the false charges. And Pilate, and Pilate knew that these were false charges. He could tell that they were false. He, it even says he knew that they had envy against him, and they still, Jesus did not speak up. Now, most of us, when we have somebody accuse us of something that's wrong, usually get very defensive and try to defend ourselves. And this is why Paul, uh, Pilate marveled. Here is Jesus. He knows that the charges that they're giving against him are false, and Jesus is not getting all excited and defending himself. He went to the cross willingly. In Revelation, it tells us he's a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus knew why he was coming to this world. And all before this event, he keeps telling the disciples over and over and over again, I'm going to die. And yet they never seem to hear him say, I'm going to die and I'm going to resurrect. Why? Because it didn't match what they believed. They're following the Messiah. The Messiah is going to set up a kingdom. He's going to rule as king in Jerusalem. He's going to conquer the whole world and rule over the world was their mindset. So every time he said, I'm going to die, their mind goes, this doesn't com compute, it doesn't make sense, so we're not going to believe it. Have you ever done that in your own life? Especially if you read something in the scriptures and said, this doesn't make any sense, so I'm going to ignore it. I'm just going to ignore it. We all tend to do that in certain things. You know, and if we don't ignore it, we just don't put it in our life. <laughs> How much have you read, been taught, understood that you've ignored. You just don't put it into practice. You know, I've been there. <laughs> I've been there. I read the Bible a lot. And I can't say that I put everything into practice every time I read it, especially not the first time. Sometimes God has to knock on my head a few times with a two-by-four to get me to respond. And I know I'm not that different from everybody else. The disciples did not understand this. Jesus cried out, I thirst. I thirst. A fulfillment of Psalm 2218 when it said that he would say, I thirst. They raised up a sponge with vinegar, and it doesn't say in John, but it had myrrh in it, which was to be something that would alleviate the pain. He didn't take it according to one of the scriptures. They just put it up to his mouth. He did not want to alleviate the pain because he suffered our pain. We deserved everything that Jesus went through. Jesus paid the debt for us. In 
Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. Every single person has sinned. And it says in Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus took the punishment. He took the beating that we deserved. He took the death we deserved. Why did he do that? So God could give us his life. Give us the life that he deserved. It's a very precious thing. So many people in this world believe, and you talk to people, how are you going to get to heaven? Well, I hope I'm good enough. Bad news about that is you cannot be good enough to go to heaven. God's standard is perfection. One sin will send you to hell. And I know that there's nobody in this room because I'm not even there that has committed just one sin. We have all committed many sins. We deserve hell. Jesus came, lived a sinless life. For 33 years, he lived a life with no sin. We go, how could he do that? Well, part of it's the virgin birth. He did not have a sin nature passed into him from a father. He had God life. He had the human flesh as well, and he could be tempted. But he lived a perfect life. Otherwise, he could not have been the sacrifice for us. And he died on that tree so that we could have life. He took the punishment that we deserve so that we could have that life. On the cross, they had darkness for three, day, three hours. Three hours of darkness. Now, there's a lot of historians in, over, the, over the years, and we look back into the Roman historians, and many of them have tried to say it was an eclipse. Now, I don't know how much you know about eclipses, but number one, I've never seen an eclipse that lasts three hours. Okay? And I've seen a few eclipses in my lifetime. None of them last three hours, maybe three or four minutes, seven or eight minutes as a really long one. This one was three hours. The other problem with it being an eclipse is Passover is held on the full moon. You cannot have any eclipse of the sun on a full moon because the moon's on the wrong side of the earth to have an eclipse. This event was a supernatural event that God made it dark. And it's reported in several ancient Roman historians and other historians, not just Christian documents, but historians. It's an amazing thing. When the Bible says there was three hours of darkness, they reported there were three hours of darkness. When it reports that there was an earthquake, they gave us historical records of an earthquake that destroyed buildings in the neighboring cities. All of these things that we see in the scripture happened. Why did God make it dark? Because Jesus had become sin. He turned his back on his son because he was sin. For three hours on the cross, Jesus was by himself without the Father's help. For the first time in all of history and non-history, because he's eternal, Jesus was separated from the Father and the Spirit. He was by himself. Why did he have to do that? Because that's our punishment. That was our punishment to be separated for eternity after death from God. He only had to do it for three hours. But it was separation from his father. He took our punishment. 
And then he said, it is finished. Telestai is the word he used. And what that would mean is when an artist finished his painting or his sculpture, he would say, Telestai, it is finished. If you paid a debt off, they would write at the bottom, Telestai, paid in full, we would use. Jesus paid the full debt for sin. He took our punishment so that we could be given his life. He's buried. The next part of this is that he, they went to break the legs of the people on the cross. Why? Because they were coming to Passover and the Jews said, we don't want people hanging on a cross on Passover. It usually took people a week or more to die on the cross. And they liked them to suffer. Rome loved it when they would suffer for, for a long period of time because it was supposed to be the deterrent. If they see this person suffering for a week, they're not going to want to, they're not going to want to commit a crime. But if they wanted to make them die quickly, they'd take a great big hammer and break their legs. They came to Jesus to break his legs with that hammer and saw that he was dead. Then they did something that is very interesting and was not known until just a few decades ago. They jammed the spear up into, up under his rib cage and out came clotted blood and water. Forensic scientists tell us that that proves that he had been dead and that he was dead. And John reports that. Now, a lot of people say he reports it for other things, and that may or may not be true, but the very fact that it's there is our proof scientifically he was dead. Because there's a lot of people that say, well, he wasn't dead. He was just in so much pain that he, that he fainted. And somehow they took the body that he fainted and put him in a grave. And sometime between the time and three days later, he got up out of the, off his bed in the, in the tomb and moved the stone, fought the you know, walked past the soldiers, and got away. John gives us that proof he's dead. He's dead. And you know, Jesus was buried in this tomb. Why was the stone removed from the tomb? was not so Jesus could get out. Jesus did not need the stone removed to get out. Okay? He appeared in a locked up room with the disciples and just appeared. He did not need the stone removed. Why was the stone moved? So that the Marys could get in there and see he's not there. So the disciples could get in there and see he is not there. And Mary ran to tell the disciples, now, for us in our day and age, we don't realize what a miraculous thing it is that Mary is the, the witness of the resurrection. We don't think twice about it, but in their day, a woman could not give testimony in court if she was the eyewitness to the crime. All right? The fact that all four Gospels use women to report the resurrection is significant. It proves that it actually happened because if they were making up the story, it would have been one of them that went to the, to the tomb and found out that the, Jesus' body wasn't there. Because a woman, <laughs> you know, in their day and age, a woman saw this and you believed her testimony? That would be the reaction that they'd get from people. And we see her going in 
and being the one that, that brings them the witness. And they come and they find an empty tomb. And then the high priest and the Jewish leaders get the guards to make this lie. Okay, well, you just say you were sleeping and the disciples stole his body. Yeah. And as I said, if, I, if you were the police officer and somebody told you you're investigating a crime and said, while I was sleeping, so-and-so did something, the police officer is going to look at you and say, how do you know that? You may suspect them, you may think they did, but you don't know what happened while you were asleep. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that 500 people had seen Jesus alive. That's a lot of witnesses. And Paul said it at a time when, and he said, his words were, if you don't believe what I'm telling you, 500 saw him go, go and talk to one, some of them. And he was saying it at a time when most of them were still alive. So think about this. 500 witnesses saw Jesus alive. Not just the 12 disciples. Not just the women who saw him. 500. Could you imagine if you were in a court case and you had 500 witnesses to listen to? How long would that court case last? Even if it was just a short time for each witness. Okay, you got one minute to tell me your story. You're still looking at just under 10 hours to have that kind of witnesses going out. Why do we know that the gospel is true, that he rose from the dead? Chain of evidence. They sealed the tomb. They put a guard on the tomb. They put a, a spear up his side and proved that he was forensically proven dead. Besides the fact that these guys killed everybody, you know, this was their job, they killed people every day. They knew when somebody was dead or not dead. They know that he was dead. We know that he was in this tomb. Some people go, well, maybe the women went to the wrong tomb. Well, just imagine this. Uh, Jesus is no longer here. The high priest knew where he was buried. Okay? They would have gone, what's wrong with these women? They went to the wrong tomb if they went to the wrong tomb. They would go, see, here's the tomb. It's still sealed. It's got all marks on it. You know, we don't know what drugs they were smoking to go to the wrong, wrong tomb, but we know that they was gone. Otherwise, the high priest wouldn't have told them, tell this lie. Tell this lie. We have a faith that is based on facts. And I've shared this with so many people. Christianity is not afraid of being examined by anybody. It holds up to examination. The Bible holds up to examination. It is true. It is absolutely true. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can be sure that he can take and be our savior and take us into eternity for the rest of eternity. When people stand before God after death, it says we all are going to die and face judgment. When we go to before God, there's going to be really one question. What did you do with Jesus? He paid the debt. What did you do with him? Many people are going to stand before God and say, God, look at all the good works I did. And Isaiah 63 says, all our righteousness is filthy rags in front of God. That means all the good stuff that people are hoping to put before God and say, God, I deserve your entry into heaven because of all these good things. He says they're filthy rags. Our good is not good enough to get us into heaven. It must be through Jesus Christ. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's that simple. Believe in him. What is belief? It is not just, I believe Jesus existed. I believe he was a historical figure that, that existed is not the belief that gets you into heaven. It is, I believe you are the only way. That's what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And that is putting our full trust and hope in him. There's no other way. It must be him. Because he is the one that paid the price. If there was any other way, he ruined his life. Because there could have been another way. And there isn't. He died paying for our sins so that if we believe, we can go to heaven. And we have a lot of visitors today that I don't know all of you, so I'm going to be very straightforward with this. Today is the day for salvation. You're not guaranteed any other days. If you're saved, praise God. Praise God. If you're not, today is the day to say, God, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I accept your gift. I encourage you to do that. If you have never done that, today is the day to do it. Put your trust and faith in Jesus. Your eternity is what matters. And eternity is a long time. The rejection of Jesus will put you into hell for eternity. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we just thank for this day. We thank for this opportunity we have. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, we ask that they will make that decision today for your forgiveness. They will make that decision and come before you and say, God, I want you to be my savior. I deserve punishment. And just for anybody that might be in this, this simple prayer, you just tell Jesus, I am a sinner. I deserve the punishment that you've given me. I accept your sacrifice. Come into my life. That's simple. In Jesus' name, amen.